Everyone, should we pray to begin? I feel like, I don't know if I need it. Oh, it's a good way to start, isn't it? <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this church, this body of people in their unique, uniqueness and individuality. God, and in our collective identity, God, we are your body. We are the church. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light. And I pray, God, that as I speak, that some of these words that I say would 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 speak directly to people's hearts. That actually, Lord, that you would you would use me. You'd speak to me and you'd speak to people through me in your name. Amen. Amen. I was thinking during worship, some of you, maybe a lot of you, will be familiar with um, the concept of the five love languages. Does that, does that concept ring a bell? Um, just to kind of, if you're not up to speed with it, we all receive and give love in, not, you know, in different ways. Um, and uh, I forget the author's name. It, in some ways, it's relevant at this point. But five different ways, five different languages or five different ways in which we give or receive and or love. So, you know, there's um, touch. There are words of affirmation, acts of service. Um, there are uh, gifts. And there's a fifth. I knew I'd forget the fifth one. Quality time. Thank you. And I was thinking during worship that actually, do we all have a different love language when we're communicating with God and when we're worshiping? Now, I would say that we need to have some, all of those different elements and all of those different in our life. We need to kind of at some point, at certain points in our walk with Jesus, need to love him with our serving. We need to love him with our words. We need to love him with, with, with how we feel and, 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 and touch and our emotions. We need, there's so many different ways, there's so many different facets to worship and so many different facets to love. I'm, you know, Steph's moved, she's gone out, perfect timing. <laughs> but I'm, um, if out of the five, if I was to categorize, you know, a, a league table of where I would sit with those, for me, number bottom of the pile would be words. I am shocking with words. <laughs> Steph revealed six, no, six plus nine months ago, 15 months ago, that we were, we're, she's pregnant, she's ha- we're having a baby. She's like, Ben, we're having a baby, we're having a baby, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And the words that I said, I'm not proud of it, but I said, well done. (laughs) For me, that was as much words of affirmation I could drag from the depth of my soul and say, well done. (laughs) I'm a little bit like that in worship in some ways. Well, not so much in worship, but for me, I'm a, I'm a touch. I like, I like the touch element. I like the, I love serving God. So I'm an acts of service kind of guy. Just, oh, just give me time of serving God. I can worship God. I, you know, I remember I used to serve on AV and, and Benga over there is making his debut on AV. Um, I remember, I just love being in the, in the shadows, in the background, just clicking buttons. and pr- I just love serving. It was my worship. I just got so into it. I love, I love feeling my way through worship. For me, it's not about the words on screen. I could, you know, I don't need AV. I just feel my way through the word. I, I'm a touchy feeling. I like, I like to experience God in a moment of worship. That's for me. How, you know, so I just make up words. In fact, I've discovered since having Abigail... I have a terrible memory for lyrics of songs. So you can help me out with this. I'm playing, my job in, in, in our house with Abigail is story time. Um, I, I like to tag on a song, nursery rhyme time on that, and then I do bath time. That's the routine that we go through. So you can help me out. How does this one go? Bar, bar, black sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. Brilliant, thank you. 
Now, when I'm with Abigail, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I just make stuff up. In fact, I've done that with worship songs. Forgive me. Forgive me, God. <laughs> you know, I've been singing, and I do this. You know, I sing Christmas songs during summer. I just, words, I forget words. So I'm singing a song, a, you know, a well-known worship song. And somehow in, that, in, in the, the lyrics that I'm using, without the assistance of a screen, I'm changing my theology. You know, I'm actually, I'm actually you know, in, in some ways, I'm, I'm singing a song that is anti-Jesus. And I don't even realize it. And, Je- and Steph has to correct me and say, Ben, you do realize that you're actually, what you're singing is almost heresy. <laughs> and I'm not doing it deliberately. I'm not a words guy. I'm, just, I'm still in the moment. I'm enjoying the song. I'm enjoying the music. I'm enjoying the atmosphere that it creates. I'm going to read a psalm. Um, I, I, I could apply the same sort of thoughts with the Bible. For me, I love a Bible story. So give me a parable. Give me Jesus. Give me something in the New Testament. Give me Acts. Give me Genesis. Give me Exodus, you know, coming out of exile. Give me these great epic Bible stories. I love them, these motion pictures of the Bible. But give me a letter from Paul or something in the New Testament. Or give me like... Proverbs. You know, these are all things that you could litter your fridge with quotes and fridge magnets, you know, all these great scriptures. But for me, I want, I want something that I can feel. I want something that I can touch in the Bible. I want something that I can put myself in there. And I'm not, I'm not here to say that don't read. I, I, I said at the beginning, we all need to have a bit of every, every one of these love languages. We all need to, I need to learn to read the Bible. And I get passionate and, and, and maybe this is why I'm starting off today with this. I've got a passage that initially I read and thought, oh, where's the inspiration? inspiration in that ah it's words 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 where's the feel of it how do I make this passage come alive for the next 20 minutes I'm going to try it's a song so the reason I started with song it's a psalm if you know anything about psalms there's 150 of them collected together in five books with an introduction and a conclusion my psalm, Psalm 133, comes in book number five. And in there is a collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. This is where I start to get my, my imagery sense to start to go. I'm like, oh, I can start to feel this now. So this is a song that will be sung by Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem three times a year for the, the festivals. So the Festival of Tabernacles, um, Passover, and, and you know, the, the three different festivals, shelters, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're going up a hill because Jerusalem was on a hill. They're, they're ascending to God. They're traveling from all over the world. And like me, easy to forget lyrics of songs. So they, put them, they wrote them together. They, they, they put them in a collection. This is what the Jews would sing. This, this is one example of a song of ascent. Psalm 1, 3, 3. How good and pleasant. I should sing it. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. I haven't got a beard, so I could have done with a bearded person to help me with this illustration. I can't yet grow one. I'm still (laughs) not got to that stage yet. Running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the Jew of Hermon, remember this is a song, it is as if the Jew of Hermon 
We're falling on Mount Zion. <laughs> Hermon here is another mountain. It's the, the biggest, tallest mountain in Israel, Mount Hermon. Falling on a smaller mountain or a hill, Mount Zion. Jerusalem. For there the Lord bestows, or in some translation, commands his blessing, even life forevermore. I love the picture of Jewish pilgrims walking along, going to, going to give their sacrifice, going to the temple, going to Jesus, going to God. And I love the thought of them singing as they do it. It's like the national anthem at football. For, for that 60 seconds, we as a nation are united. We're England. When England are playing, we're united. When the rugby's on, we, we, we're united. And then we fight afterwards. But the song draws us together. We're like, I love the queen. God save the queen. And then we criticize the, the monarchy on social media. But we, for that moment, we're English. The song draws us together. There's unity in the song. In fact, David writing this psalm, it's, it's not, we're not entirely certain when he wrote this psalm, but there's a good chance that he wrote it when he himself was anointed with oil, when the people of Israel said, we want you to be our king. Bearing in mind, at this point, he was the king of Judah. He, and, and, and the previous king, Saul, you may know the story, David and Goliath, blah, blah, blah. I haven't got time to go into all of that. But it, there's a point where there's two kings. There's a king of Israel and there's a king of Judah. And then there's a point when the king of Israel is assassinated, so there's a vacancy. And they say, well, you're the king of Judah. You're great. We love you, David. Why don't you take on both roles and unify the nation of Israel once more? So there's, there's, there's unity impossibly. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying that's for definite. But in, in this process of, of David being anointed, pouring oil on his head, you are the king. You are the king. It's a wonderful picture. So we're in a series on unity. There's two key words on there to begin with. This is a bit of a Bible study. I don't know if you like Bible studies, but we're going to go there. I'm a, I'm, for, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to be a words guy. We're going to like a bit of words. A little bit of words. But how good and pleasant. Two words. Two words that actually don't appear very often in the Bible together. In fact, there's two other occasions, and they both come in Psalm. Psalm 135 and Psalm 147. Just, you know, bear with me on this if you're kind of glossing over. You think, I'm not a words person. I'm not a history person. But these two words, good and pleasant. I think the next slide, it tells you these scriptures. I think there's two scriptures, one from Psalm 135, one from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for he, for that is pleasant. Same sort of vibe going on here. Same again in 147. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant it is fitting to praise him. So these two words, when we're thinking about unity, when we're thinking about good and pleasant unity, there's, there's something about singing, singing. There's something about worship. There's something about a fixation on God. So unity doesn't happen without us fi fixing on God. Unity doesn't happen when we just sort ourselves out and try and kind of sort out our differences. It's about fixing our eyes on God, who is able to do it. It's about how good and pleasant it is just to worship him. In fact, us coming together it's not a normal thing for adults in the 21st century to do, to come together under one banner, the name of Jesus. We coming together to sing praises to God is this beautiful picture of unity. Good and pleasant unity. And the way I read this, good, in the beginning, God made the world and he saw that it was good. It's the same word. So good, in my opinion, references what God wants. God wants unity. 
unity is something that we ought to do out of duty and obedience to God. Unity is our obligation as Christians. We should want it because it's good, it's good, it's good. But it's not just about duty. It's not just about religion. It's also about pleasant and what you delight in. And what, it's also about what you want. Unity is best served as a dish that you delight in. Not just what you ought to eat. Not just, you know, counting the calories. I want this beautiful. This is what I want. I want unity. So I'm encouraging today is not just to do unity and be unified because God says so. We as a church should want and desire and thrive under unity. It should be our passion. It should be our desire. Unity is good and pleasant. Let's just frame this scripture. I think in the next slide, it just helps understand why we should desire and want unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together. Often people miss out this middle bit. It's kind of like, I haven't got time to go through that bit. So I'll just quote the scripture like this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So what this is saying, you know, almost just for a few seconds, ignoring the middle bit, if we are a unified people, God bestows a blessing. If we are together, we're going to get blessed. We're going to be, our lives and our families and our workplace and our church and our neighborhoods and our city and our mental health and our physical health and our finances, our bank account, our friendships, our hearts, our minds will be blessed because of unity. It will overflow into our lives. But it's also, and I think this, this appears on screen, this is kind of the, the crunch message. If you, if you want a take-home message, if you want something to say, okay, this is what the, the message was on today, it's this. Unity pleases God and benefits you and me. So why would we not want unity? There's a power in coming together. There's a power in believing. Not necessarily, necessarily saying that we need to agree with one another. We've got different theologies, different backgrounds, different experiences, different preferences. But we're unified. We're together. We're together. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament, Joshua. And he's a, a warrior. He's like kicking butt for God. <laughs> he's slaying people, you know, this, this sounds really bad, but for God, the, the nation of Israel, they were in slavery for so long, and the promised land was just occupied by foreigners and people practicing, you know, all sorts of evil things, and now comes a time when they're free to say, right, take the land. There's Jericho, and you may have heard the story, they walk around Jericho for seven days, and the walls come down, and they get a great victory, and it's amazing, but bef- before that occasion, God says to the people, when you take Jericho, don't take any of the plunder, the gold, the silver, the riches, the clothes, the, the blessing, the food. Don't take a single thing for yourself. Don't. So the Israelites do it. You know, they, 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 they win the, the victory at Jericho, as you may know if you've read the story. And it then comes to the next battle, which is a battle against another smaller nation or town, I think, AI. AI. So small, it only had two letters. And... <laughs> They get absolute, they just send a few guys. They're like, we don't need to send the whole army. Just send a few of us, like a couple of thousand. It's fine. We'll sort it out. And they get absolutely their butts whipped by this, what apparently looked like a really easy win. They get their butts whipped. And Joshua's like, how on earth has this happened? How has this happened? And God tells him, somebody in your camp didn't obey. They weren't unified. 
They didn't agree with what I said. They took for themselves plunder, gold, silver, riches. And they found it in a guy called Aiken's tent. And there it is. And unfortunately, just explicit X-rated preach this morning, he gets stoned. Next day, or next, next sort of point in the story, is they go back to AI with the whole army. They're unified. They're together. They're one. And they take the land and they, they win the victory. The point is this. There's power in unity and there's power in disunity. There's power in unity in that when everyone's together, you can achieve anything. As a church, if we're all together, we can achieve anything. But if there's the smallest one, if there's the one missing, if there's somebody who's not with us, we can fall flounder. We can, we can not achieve what we've, God has got, got for us as a church or for as a family or as a business or for whatever your situation is. If somebody's not in line, if somebody's not unified, we have problems. So, how do we ensure unity? Because it's important. Hopefully you gather. You kind of agree with me that it, it pleases God. And we want to do what pleases God, surely. But also, there's great benefit to unity for you and me. It benefits you and me. In fact, it benefits your children and the next generation, your grandchildren, the future. It benefits your household, your business, your, your everything. Unity as a church is what we need. So how do we do it? So I haven't got much time, so I've got four like actions, four things for you to do. And you might want to do all of them. Probably more realistically, you might choose one of these things for your particular situation, your particular circumstance. The first one, and it all comes from Psalm 133. The message title today is Unity in action. So there's an action. It's not just, ah, oh, we're, uni- we're unified. We've got to do something about unity. We've got to actually make a decision and act on it. So a few things. Nice and easy for you to remember. The first one is a visual, visual illustration. First one is this, sit with. Look around the room. <laughs> Some of these people you might not consider friends. Some of these people I think, yeah, a bit different. Some of these people you may have fallen out with. Some of these people you may not like. Some of these people you love. Some of these people you like. Some of these people you don't know. It's a complete concoction and mixture of people in the church that we're asking you to be unified. But my practical advice based on this scripture is to sit with people. Now, where do I get that from? What I mean by that is the word in some translations, it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell or live together. So is the Bible saying that we should live with one another? We should, you know, build a few apartments on the back of the church. You know, there's a big car park, there's a big land out the back. Let's just build a community hub where we all just live and serve each other food and we have a rotor for who does the washing up. Would that be what God is asking for us to do? Good and pleasant unity. We all live together under the same roof. For those who are married, you're kind of, Becky touched on this last week, that when you just put two people who aren't used to living together and they have to live together, it causes all sorts of frictions and problems and you've got to learn how to live with one another. It's not saying that. The Hebrew word for live or for dwell is to settle or to sit or to remain or to marry so what are we asking you to do? So if you struggle with unity, if you feel like there's somebody in this church that you don't get on with, or maybe not just in this church, someone in your family, here's some practical wisdom for you. Sit with them. Go in. Don't back down. Remain. 
set in it. Remain in the vine. Stick it out. If we as a church are to be unified, unified, there's going to be times where we don't agree with one another. There's going to be times when perhaps we have little squabbles and little squibbles. Key thing is, sit with somebody. Sit with people. Remain. Stick at it. It's tough. People, are, people can come rub you up the wrong way, but stick at it. Sit in it. Remain. Don't be moved. Don't be changed. Don't just drift off. Don't give up. Sit. Remain. Sit with people. You have more in common than you have that divides you. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together, sit together, remain together. Don't give up on each other. Even though there's a few awkward characters in here, even though, you know, that Ben guy is a bit weird. I'm going to stick at it. I'm going to try my best. Next Sunday, I'm going to sit with him. Even though I don't like him, I'm going to sit with him and see if I can find some common ground. Even though we fell out last week, I'm going to sit with him and see if we can reconcile that relationship. Sit in. Remain. The second one is stand under. So unity pleases God and blesses you and me. So we've got to stand under something. In the scripture, it talks about oil. It's like Aaron in this story. Now, we're talking like gallons of oil. If you read sort of Leviticus, there's a lot of oil involved. It's a messy process. There's a lot of aromatic spices and, and all sorts. It's like the great British bake-off meats. Um, you know, there should be a new reality TV show. Make anointing oil and pour it on a high priest's head. <laughs> but it's, it's this concoction of sweet-smelling aromas. Now, Aaron is the high priest. He's like the big, you know, there's Moses and Aaron. He's the mediator between man and God. He's, he serves in the temple. He was, you know, in, in history, the high priest would be the person that people would come to to offer sacrifices to say, I've made a lot of mistakes this year. Here's my cow. Here's my sacrifice. Here's my dove. And he was, the high priest was involved in that process. A mediator between man and God. He was in between the two. High priest, a very important role. So he's been anointed in this process that David's talking to about in this psalm, the oil running down the face. I mean, I don't like things sticky on my face. I can't imagine what it's like to have your whole head just submerging in oil and then dripping down the beard and down the garments, and it's just covered. It's a messy thing, but it's a sweet-smelling, fragrant, holy, sacred moment of just unbelievable proportions. It's excessive almost. It's extravagant. There's enough oil, there's enough blessing, there's enough unity to go around. If you, it says, the Lord commands or bestows a blessing, there's enough blessing to come around. There's enough blessing. It's not just on Paul and Sarah. It's not just on the leadership. It's not just on the priest. It's not just on, the, on, on whoever it may be. It's on us all. If we stand under the covering, the head. So Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head and the only head. You know, it's not Paul Dukes. It's not Brian Houston. It's not Stephen Furtick. He is, Jesus is the head of the church. No other head. He is the head. The oil, the blessing, the favor comes on the head first. And it rips down and it covers us all. We all receive something from God. There's enough to go around. There's enough goodness. There's enough blessing. There's enough favor. We need to stand under. We need to come under the blessing. We need to come under and submit under. We need to acknowledge that there's somebody that we have to submit under, and it's Jesus. There's somebody who is far higher than us. And maybe practically, maybe some of us, if we struggle with unity in a church, maybe we need to come under the leadership of Paul and Sarah. And we need to, and we need to allow the blessing and the favor to flow from them onto us. 
They wouldn't necessarily say that, but I can say that. That maybe if you struggle with unity in this church and it's not your thing, you, you don't know where you fit, you don't know where, you kind of, you want to tear yourself away and go off in this direction. But if you go this direction, you're no longer standing under the blessing. You're no longer standing under the favor. You're no longer standing under unity. So stick at it. Stand under and receive the blessing. Receive the favor from God. Receive all that comes with unity. Don't be a lone ranger. Don't be a severed body part. We are the body of Christ. Everything is important. Every fingernail, every cell, every little tiny hair on every single head. Every person is part of this body. And if one part is missing, there's something missing. The head always stays the same. But in order for us to receive this blessing of unity, in order for us to receive the good and pleasant blessing, we need to stand under something. We can't just go off on our own and do our own thing. We need to come under a blessing. If, you know, many people are involved in many different things. There's ministries and missions all over the city, all over the, the nation. Great. Ensure that it comes under something. Ensure that it fits within an accountability structure, within a, within a setup that there is authority. And the easiest one to say is church. Come under. Come under. Stand under the shower of blessing and allow it to drip down the head, the beard, onto you. It's good. It's pleasant. The third one, we've had to sit down or sit with people, stick at it, remain, don't give up. Stand under, receive. Don't step to one side and leave and miss out on the blessing. Be in church. Be here. Be present. Give your heart and your life to this you know, to, to the, the Great Commission. Thirdly, thirdly, is climb up. Imagine the scenario. The pilgrims, the Jewish pilgrims are climbing the hill. It's like, woohoo, we're on our way to how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony or in unity. They're singing a song. It's a joyous procession. It's a wonderful moment. Sometimes if we struggle with unity, if we struggle in church, coming under leadership, Maybe what we need to do is ascend and go to God. Maybe what we need to do is praise. Collectively, individually, corporately, on my own, I need to praise. I need to fix my eyes on God. I'm struggling with unity. I'm struggling to feel part. I'm struggling to feel like I belong. I'm struggling to feel that I'm under. I'm struggling to feel that I can sit with people. So go up. Go up. Go to your your place with God, find a place, climb a hill, climb a tree, whatever. Encounter God, meet with God, find God, climb up. The Mount Hermon was the tallest in Israel. Mount Zion was a smaller mountain. They're miles and miles apart, but there's, there's wonderful imagery there. As the, the pilgrims are climbing up this, this mountain, they're touching with their feet and their sandals the dew that has been poured out. You know, this blessing, this favor, as it says in this scripture, the dew of Mount Hermon is refreshing the, the Mount Zion. So the, there's a higher authority that is blessing the the, the, the smaller peak, which is, is, which is Mount Zion. So as the people, as the pilgrims are climbing up this mountain, they're like, oh yeah, this song was just words to me back at home. These, these words didn't mean, really mean much now, but how good and how pleasant. Now I can feel tangibly, feel the dew on my feet. And maybe some of you when, you, when you praise, when you come and worship in church, don't just look at the words. Look at what's around you. Thank God for what he's actually done. The dew that he's already poured into your life. Your family, your children, your husband, your wife, your future, your money, your education. Whatever that may be. 
We've got to climb up and remind ourselves that actually, even though we might struggle with unity, we might struggle with another brother or sister. One thing unifies us. It's the God that we serve. It's Jesus. So if you're struggling, if you're feeling, oh, I'm fragmented. I want to pull myself from under that blessing. I don't want to sit with somebody any longer. I want to be on my own. I want to go somewhere else. I want to do something else. Go up. Ascend the hill. Find Jesus. Ask for his help. Ask for his assistance. Ask God to come and help you. Receive something from him. It's on the mountain of Zion. That's where he commands the blessing. So don't run off and go and do your own thing in the shadows. Be bold and go before God. Approach God with boldness and the blessing will be there. It's there. Jesus himself was crucified in Jerusalem. That mountain, that same place that is receiving the blessing from unity. You know, that that blessing, that favor from God. That's where Jesus died. Death doesn't sound that favorable. (laughs) But it's because of what Jesus did on that cross that we can now live in unity. In fact, this next scripture, Ephesians 2, and I'm drawing to a close. Ephesians 2, what I haven't actually even mentioned at this point, is the fourth action. So we've had sit with, if you're struggling with unity, if you want unity in your life, if you want to unify yourself with this church, with your family, with colleagues or friends, or you want unity, you want the blessing of unity, sit with people. Even those difficult, rough-edged people, the ones that you, your enemies, sit with them. Find some common ground. Also, stand up, stand under the, the oil. Allow yourself to receive the blessing from somebody else. A leader, a, a pastor, a an authority structure. Ultimately, it's Jesus. He's the head. And if we sever ourselves, if we separate ourselves from the body, we don't receive the blessing from Jesus if we, if we go and do our own thing. Climb up. If unity is a problem for you and you're struggling to, to do that, you want to run away, climb up and go to God. Ascend the hill. Go into his presence. Find a way to discover Jesus all over again. Acknowledge that, okay, we might all be different in this church. But the common ground that we all have is Jesus. Is we serve one God and one Lord. And then finally, it's stoop down. Because it's in this place where the Lord commands the blessing. Unity is where God commands the blessing. Where Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem was where God commanded the blessing. It's there. Without Jerusalem, without Jesus going to the cross, there is no blessing. There is no life forevermore. We can be grateful this morning that Jesus went to the cross. We can be grateful this morning that Jesus died for us. And as in a moment, I'm going to read Ephesians. As this scripture says, it is through the act of Jesus dying on the cross that we can be unified. That we have our different cultures, our different backgrounds, our different theologies, our different opinions, our different styles, our different preferences, our different wants and needs. This is how we are united. Verse 13 of Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far... This is me as well, you and me, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. Unity is actually quite a difficult thing. If you've ever been married, just to put two people together to unify and make them one is a tricky thing. Put, put 250 people together. Put the kingdom in the whole. It's, not, it's a miracle that unity happens. But it's because... Jesus has put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So if you're struggling today with unity and you're thinking, well, I don't feel part of this. I don't feel part of anything. I don't agree. I don't, I'm not, I don't fit in. I'm different to all those other Christian guys at Bree. I'm not, it's, it's not, I I don't like singing. I don't like words. I don't like affirmation. I don't like these things that all these other Christians are doing. I don't want to do that. I don't want, it's not me. But God's brought those who are far from and those who are near, he's brought the two groups of people together under one roof, under one name, Jesus. So wherever wherever you are, whatever you are doing, whoever you may think you are, whatever your preferences are, your styles, your opinions, your wants and needs, The miracle of unity happened on the cross. That is where the Lord commands the blessing. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of the robe. It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So to conclude, Jesus stooped down. He didn't consider his divinity something to hold on to. He was in heaven with the Father. He didn't hold on to that privilege of being the Son of God, of being God in human form. He stooped down. He didn't stay on the high mountain. He didn't stay in the high heavens. Jesus stooped down. He came down from heaven to earth and took a criminal's death on a cross. He took the punishment that me and you deserved. Our sin he was laid upon his shoulders. His blood was poured out so that we could be cleansed and washed white as, as snow. Jesus came to unite those who are far from God, those who are near, and bring them under one name, which is the name of Jesus Christ. So the the final thing, the final posture, the final act, if you're struggling with unity today, is to stoop down and serve the world, serve the community. 
engaging what the church is doing with the community, engaging what the church is doing with the, the food collection next Sunday, engaging the Alpha course in Youth and Ignite, in Cafe Kids as Joe um, is involved. We serve our community. We share the gospel. We share our faith with one another. We stoop down and serve other people like Jesus did. He didn't stay in heaven. He didn't stay on the holy hill. He didn't stay up there. He came down. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite the band, if you don't mind coming up. That'd be great. Thank you. Just in terms of a response. So unity is what pleases God. Unity is what blesses you and me. There's benefits to it. To come together as a church, to be one church, there's there's benefits to your life, your future, your children, your grandchildren, your business, everything. But it's what pleases God. So we need to, if we're struggling with unity, there's four things. You might want to do all four of them. You might, next Sunday, you struggled with someone in church and you found there's a bit, a bit of tension, a bit of awkwardness. Next Sunday in the cafe, I'm going to sit with them and I'm going to talk to them. And I'm going to just, let's just, let's just work on this unity thing. Let's help each other. For some people, you're thinking, well, I need to, I need to, come out from the shadows. I'm doing my own thing over here. I'm just kind of, I don't really agree. I'm not in agreement. I'm not in unity. I'm, I'm hiding things in my tent. I need to bring them out, come under the authority and stand under the blessing of God. For some of us, we're struggling with unity and maybe one thing we need to do is climb and ascend the hill and go to God and allow God to, to unify us. And for some of us, there's one thing that unifies us all. There's one purpose of this church it's to make disciples. It's to, it's to love God and to love people. It's to outwork the Great Commission. So if you're struggling today with unity, you know this. We're unified in the Great Commission. We're unified in our mandate and our, and our responsibility to go and share the gospel. So if that doesn't unify you, if that is not one reason enough for you to say, okay, I'm going to put my differences and my, 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 my struggles aside and I'm going to unify myself with this church, with this body of people, and we're going to serve the community, the world, and the nation. So let's pray, and we're going to sing a song. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for, for your word, and we thank you for unity, God. It is good, and it is pleasant. It's what we ought to do, and it's what we delight in, God. It is, it's what you ask us to do, but also, Jesus, we, we want to be unified because it's so pleasant, but because it is so beautiful, because it is so fragrant, and it's so precious and so sacred. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this community, God. We, we pray, God, for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, God, that isn't part, that hasn't necessarily been united with you. They haven't, they don't know Jesus or understand what you did for them on that cross. And as we sing this song, Lord God, may they know that they are a child of God. May they know that they are chosen. They're not forsaken. God, that they are, you are for them and not against them. And God, in this process, would you speak to